You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Sometimes it's good to be reminded and to sing about um, those things that are just the basics of the Christian faith. I think sometimes we get caught up in a lot of the deeper things, though we should study those things, absolutely. But we get caught up and we miss some of the most basic teachings of the Christian faith. So it's good to be reminded and to sing of these things and to but our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Because he is our only hope. He's the only hope of salvation. And that is, of course, what John is all about. These things written that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. <clears throat> the operative word being believe. It's what John calls us to throughout uh, all of this gospel is to believe upon Christ. Believe upon Christ. And so I just come to the question this morning, especially in light of the text that we're in, and ask this question. Does it really matter what you believe? Does it really matter what you believe? In America, at least in theory, we're free to believe whatever we want, aren't we? We have religious freedom in our nation, and we're told that we can believe whatever we want, and We should respect the belief of others. But instead of having believing whatever you want, actually what becomes the case in America is that these beliefs become more like boundaries. We're not allowed to have those conversations. We can't talk about different beliefs for fear we might offend somebody or we might uh, call some things into question and we can't make people uncomfortable. So we certainly can't do that in a culture of tolerance. See, belief in America is not only personal, it's more private and subjective than it is anything else. In many ways, belief itself has actually become the standard of authority, even if what I believe is wrong. Conversations about belief in our day become more like philosophical exchanges of words, rather than a discussion of what is real and what is true. We're not allowed to say anything is true, absolutely. Everything is relative and everything is subject to change based on the situation you're in or the people that you're talking to or what's most advantageous in culture. Truth itself, in our culture, is no longer based in reality. It's not based on an objective, authoritative standard. Truth in our culture means that we're free to believe whatever we want to believe truly. That is not a free society. 
there is nothing about that that is free. It's actually more like a mindless and moralless society. And that's what we're discovering the more this goes on. Is that nobody knows really what is true anymore or is willing to say anything about it. And it leads to everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. And can I tell you that that is the condition of the fallen mind and the fallen heart. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It doesn't change the reality that truth does in fact exist. We don't want to have any part of it. It's the basic character of what's called postmodernism. Modern thought has been infected with postmodernism at every single level. We should note, though, that there's nothing new under the sun. It might be called postmodernism, but the same philosophy was present in the New Testament day. It's this disjunctive kind of thinking that says we can believe whatever we want as long as it is at diametric opposition to one another. And we see it here in the trial of Jesus before Pilate, a very secular Roman culture. I said to you last week that there are two things that stand out primarily in this trial before Pilate, before the Roman government. One of those things is that we get a front row seat to the trial of Jesus. And there's more detail here than about any other uh, trial or any other place in in. Scripture, wherever where, where these are, are brought forward, we, we see more detail here. But the second thing is that we get a window into the secular world of Rome, particularly into the mind of Pilate. And that element is what surfaces here in this passage. We see what it's like to look into the secular mind, how the secular mind thinks. And need I remind you this morning that so once were some of us. What is the secular mind like? Well, we enter into the quarters of Pilate into a private conversation between Jesus and Pilate on the day that he was condemned to die. And so if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we look together. John chapter 18, beginning at verse 33. The Bible says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? 
Father, I pray that this morning we would grapple with that very same question. That as we approach your word and as we consider the culture in which we live and even the tendencies of our own heart, that we would consider what it means to know the truth and the truth setting us free. That we would consider what it means for your word to be absolute truth and what it what it looks like to submit our lives to you every single day as Lord and King. I pray that believers all across this room and areas of our life where perhaps we've not been obedient to you or submissive to you, that those things would be points of conviction this morning. And Holy Spirit, you would remind us of what your word says and teaches and that you would call us to faithfulness and obedience and that today, fresh and new, we would submit to the truth and the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, I pray that if there is one here who's never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe thinking that's for religious people, or that's something that doesn't apply to them, or that's old-fashioned, or whatever excuse or objection they might come up with, I pray that this morning they would see Jesus as King, as the truth, and the ultimate source of all truth. And that today they would submit their lives to You as King of kings, Lord of lords, be born again, redeemed from sin, and changed forever. Teach us, I pray. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, as I shared with you last couple of weeks, this is kind of a weaving back and forth of a conversation between the public conversation with the crowds that were trying to crucify Jesus and the private conversation between Pilate and Jesus. In the public, we see this, this debate about legalness and about jurisdiction and all those kinds of things and all that matters, but that's shelved for a moment. So we get into this intimate conversation when Jesus, having spoken to the crowds... Or, or rather, Pilate, having spoken to the crowds, goes into his quarters and calls Jesus to himself and says, hey, let's talk. That's what happens there in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again where he had come from. Remember, they didn't go into the, to the place where Pilate lived for fear of uncleanness. So Pilate comes out and meets them. And after speaking with the crowd... He goes into his headquarters again and he calls Jesus to come in with him and they begin to speak. That's the scene. We're not told why, but this is a conversation that Pilate does not want to have with Jesus in public, obviously. We could speculate, perhaps Jesus poses a threat to Pilate's authority. And if he were to question Jesus about the validity of his throne and his kingdom out in public, it would cause question in the minds of those who were there. Is Pilate really in charge? Or maybe the Jewish accusation was true. Jesus claiming to be king would bring an uprising in Rome. And so he's concerned about Pax Romana. The peace of Rome, keeping public peace. And so this uprising had to be quelled. He had to get the parties separated and talk to Jesus privately and somehow play mediator between the two. By the way, if you're a part of our Connect groups on Sunday night, you're going to learn a whole lot about what that looks like biblically when it comes to peacemaking and others studying different things. 
you've not been a part of our Connect Groups on Sunday night, I would encourage you to do that. What is interesting is that Pilate's conversation here, his interrogation, so to speak, looks more like he's satisfying his own curiosity than it does that that he is actually investigating. In fact, there seems to be kind of two angles in tension here. On the one hand, he's trying to stay as much out of it as possible. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll see that. Pilate tries to stay out of this thing because he doesn't want to get caught up in the crossfire. That's why one of his responses to Jesus is, are you the king of the Jews? And when Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate says, am I a Jew? In other words, is this any of my business? It's none of my concern. I'm just trying to keep the peace. He even tried to release Jesus over to the Jews completely later and wash his hands of it as if he had no stake in it, but he did. On the other hand, curiosity is getting the best of him. And he's got to ask Jesus some of these questions. And it becomes very personal, as if Pilate himself needed to know who Jesus was. While there was the business of Jesus' trial to deal with, Pilate's conversation with Jesus in private, was largely evangelistic. Jesus was not content to just let Pilate believe whatever he was going to believe. Jesus challenged his most basic assumptions about authority and about truth. It's why you get Pilate's questions here. So through this line of questioning, Pilate lands on perhaps what is the most important question facing us in our day, and certainly the most important question of this passage. It is there in verse 38. What is truth? It's a loaded question, isn't it? What exactly is truth? The question comes from Pilate in response to what I believe is the landing place of the text. But it's interesting that it's it's reversed, right? Pilate asked the question after Jesus has already given the answer. As if to continue to probe and to challenge what truth actually is. It's a a philosophical question. Pilate doesn't ask what is true. What's true about you, Jesus? Pilate says, what is truth? Is there even such a concept as truth? As if he understands that this objective standard of truth that must be used to measure all things should be itself questioned. And so he says, what is truth? In other words, who decides what's true? Have you ever thought about that question? How can we know that something is true? Is is there some set standard or is it arbitrary? Does it change with the culture? And from one time in the world to the next time, we talk about things being archaic or outdated. Does truth do the same? Is the decision of what's true in the hands of the state? Or is it in the hands of the church? Is it negotiable? Does science answer the question of truth? Is there some 
common bind between all people that we all kind of have this inward consciousness that lets us know what the truth is. Well, this is a question that we have been trying to answer for millenniums. Since the beginning of time, man has always been in search of knowledge. Think about it. From the building of the pyramids to the invention of the iPhone, we have always looked for progress. From the study of philosophy to the study of biology, we want to know knowledge. From the Enlightenment to the Industrial Revolution, from farming to ones and zeros, we want knowledge. Sadly, with all of our acquisition of knowledge, Paul describes a time at the end of days when we were always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And as much knowledge as we have in our day, you need to know this morning that the truth is largely obscured. Not because it has not been revealed. And not because God has not made it known. But because we desire not to see it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 describes the natural mind, the secular mind, the the day in which Pilate was living and certainly the day in which we live like this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Does that not sound like where we are? Both in our culture and tragically so much in the church. And Paul goes on, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. And verse 7 says, Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. It describes... The statement describes us now more than ever. We're a generation of people that are building electric cars. For crying out loud, we're building an army in space. But the basic gospel, we are largely ignorant of. What is truth? It's not a question that Pilate asks here because he's genuinely interested. Although perhaps in his philosophical mind in Greek culture, he was on a quest for knowing all truth and all knowledge and it was, just, it was a God in and of itself. But he's not genuinely interested. It's because he's stubbornly opposed to it. And so what we do in our secular minds is we develop all kinds of lofty arguments that seem to make sense on the surface in order to avoid any kind of accountability to one and only one truth. 
This is what Romans says about our condition. That the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Paul says, who by their unrighteousness, listen to this, suppress the truth. It's not that we don't know the truth. It's that we don't want the truth. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 20 says that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You, you need only to look at the world around you to realize that there is something in control outside of you. And you may not call that God, or you may not call that order, you may not call that righteousness, but the reality is every single one of us impressed on our hearts from eternity past know that there's a God and know that there is truth, and the, the fact is we don't have it. And it is even to know that, that God exists and something about Him that He's great and that He's majestic. If we would search for Him, we would know Him with all of our hearts, but the reality is we don't want Him. Romans 1 says that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. That we become foolish in our own thinking, claiming to be wise. This is the natural mind. Exchanging the truth about God for a lie. It's not that we do not know God, it's that we do not want to know God. The question, what is truth, is really a guise in order to keep truth out of our lives. Because the answer is plain. I only say this because it is on the back side of the answer that Pilate asked the question, isn't it? What is truth? Well, Jesus, through his reasoning, leads Pilate to know the truth. It's very plain. Verse 33, follow this with me. The report is, are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus answered him, do you say this of your own accord or do others say this about me? In other words, are you personally asking me or is this... A legal question. Verse 35, Pilate answered, I, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? It's a personal question. Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. It's much bigger, Pilate, much more universal than just king of Israel. It's a much bigger question than just their king. The issue here is not about the, just their king. The issue is about your king, Pilate, who's king of your life. And Jesus' claim is not just that I'm king of the Jews alone, but rather he's king of kings and lord of lords. It's a bigger kingdom, Pilate. So verse 37, Pilate kind of plays dumb and he says, so you are a king, notice it. Nope, not going to believe that. I'm going to sidestep that. Not a bigger kingdom, Jesus. I'm not responsible for that. You're a king of some kingdom, but not my king. And Jesus answers him, you say that I am a king. Listen to what Jesus says. For this purpose I was born and this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. One truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And it is universal. Everyone. Jesus is not just claiming to be king of the Jews here. 
Jesus is claiming to be king of all kings. Jesus does not say a truth, your truth, what you happen to believe in the moment, what's most expedient for you. Jesus says the truth. And he says his singular mission is to declare it. The truth that is objective, unchangeable, and singular has a singular mission and a singular voice and all who believe the truth follow that voice. It's the voice of Christ. It's the Word of Christ. His voice is truth. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 17, Jesus says to the Lord, to the Father, God's Word is truth. Your Word is truth. And John 1, 1 says that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the truth from the beginning to the end. So here is what John is saying to us this morning in a culture that believes truth is relative. The one standard of absolute truth is the sovereign Word of King Jesus. The one standard of absolute truth is the sovereign word of King Jesus. Tomorrow, we will commemorate the life of a woman who reigned for 70 years. It's an amazing accomplishment. But it nowhere comes close to eternity past and eternity future, Christ has always been seated on the throne. The one who is worthy of respect tomorrow pales in comparison to the one who reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who an entire nation trusted for 70 years does not compare to the One who is the King of a multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation who will worship Him forever and who will put all enemies under His feet. Jesus is King. So does it really matter what you believe? Absolutely, it matters what you believe. If He is King, it matters that you believe the Word of Christ as the one standard of all truth. And anything else you believe is wrong. And it is a statement that needs to be made from the housetops today during a culture of, of relative truth where we don't even perhaps know what the truth is. No, we absolutely know what the truth is because it came from the mouth of Jesus. And anyone who does not believe Jesus stands eternally condemned before God. We must believe this and we must declare it because the truth has a king. I grow weary sometimes of hearing Christians preface all of their statements by, well, I believe. I, I believe, and you fill in the blank. Especially when talking to a lost culture, as if somehow the Christian faith is unclear. So we soften it. We put ourselves into a category of, I, you don't have to believe this. This is me. No, you do have to believe it. If you don't believe it, you don't trust in Christ, you're going to hell forever. Please believe the Gospel. 
It is not just what I believe. It is what is true, what is real. And all of us must believe it because every one of us are accountable to it. Without Christ, we die and perish forever. Trust in Christ matters eternally. And frankly, it doesn't really matter in those terms whether I believe it or not because even my belief has no authority on God's Word. I can say all day, I just don't believe it. But friend, God's Word doesn't change based on the number of people who believe it. It's always true. And it eternally matters. And everyone who's in the truth, this is important, everyone who's in the truth listens to Jesus. They hear His voice. Listens implies obeys. They receive His instruction. The one standard of absolute truth is the sovereign word of King Jesus. And you and I, if we are in Christ, have submitted our lives to Him. Yes, it is a joy and a pleasure to serve the King because He saved us. He's given His life for us. But may we never forget that He is also in sovereign authority over us. So we submit to Him because He is worthy as King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who died to save sinners the one who rose again, the one who is ascended and is seated right now on His throne. The one standard that we all have is Jesus. That is some things, there are some things that Pilate learns in this conversation about the authority of Jesus, about Jesus being the, the standard of all truth. Three things particularly that I want us to hear this morning, especially in light of us living in the same kind of a culture. Number one, the authority of Jesus is not subject to the opinions of men. The authority of Jesus is not subject to the opinions of men. Middle of verse 33, the question is asked, are you the king of the Jews? That's what Pilate wants to know. Obviously, at this point, Pilate's had a conversation. He's privy to this information. This isn't new for him. He's not someone who doesn't know what's going on in his kingdom. He knows exactly what's going on if he's going to keep the peace. They've already accused Jesus of this multiple times over. Not only has he heard the ground swell, most likely there's been a, pre- a previous conversation about this. And Jesus answers, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Jesus is not asking for a record of witness. He's asking, by what standard do you ask that question? What have you heard? What have you seen? On whose opinion are you asking the question? Is it your own? Or are you just going on hearsay? By the way, Jesus doesn't even mention his own word. Are you saying this because you heard me say it? No, he says, you heard it from them or you came up with it on your own. But by what standard are you measuring? Which human option are you using? Because neither of them are trustworthy. Can't trust your own observation. You can't trust those who hear. He's pointing out the flaw in trusting human opinion about anything. Can I say to you this morning that there is only one trustworthy opinion and that is the opinion of Almighty God. 
There's only one word that stands forever, and that is the word of the living God. We must trust him. So the accusation is true, but the source, the source of his knowledge was erroneous. And that's the point. Pilate, is this something you came up with yourself? Or are you believing hearsay? And there are a couple of things to note about that here. One, what you believe about Jesus or what another person believes about Jesus bears no, no authority on who Jesus really is. We, we in our culture of redefining everything don't get to redefine Jesus. We don't get to make up a Jesus that we're more comfortable with, that that likes our life a lot better, that 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 we're we're willing to kind of spend time with. We don't get to make up our own Jesus and then say we're Christians. Can I say that to you again? We don't get to make up our own Jesus and say we're Christians. That's why we use the term around here biblical Christianity. Because the culture and much of the church culture in America has made up their own Jesus and called it Christianity. And that's not it. Right? So we must believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And my opinion about that Jesus doesn't change who he is. I don't get to set the parameters. The second thing to note is that you can't define belief in Jesus based on what somebody else says about him. Even if it's true. They said he's king of the Jews. Is that true or is that false? He's, it's true, right? Because he's Messiah king and he's king of kings. He's king of all things. But Pilate, you don't get to make a judgment call based on what somebody else said. You've got to experience it personally. There are scores of people in the church who have made up their opinions, listen to me, about who Jesus is based on what some preacher said years ago. My word counts for nothing. God's word is everything. We believe who Jesus is because this book says it. And the reason why we labor so much to draw out of what is in the Bible that is really here is so that you see you're not believing my word, but the word of Scripture. And anytime I come out of step with this book, don't believe Anything I've got to say It is trusting in who Jesus is from the mouth, the voice of the Savior himself. This is who I am. And we've seen it for 18 plus chapters. What does it look like for Jesus to be the son of God? So, Pilate, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this about me? Can I ask you which Jesus you're serving? Is your opinion about him or the opinions you've heard? amount to nothing unless you know Jesus personally. So that's the first thing that we see about the authority of Jesus. It's not subject to the opinions of men. Secondly, the authority of Jesus is not limited to certain areas of life or culture. The authority of Jesus is not limited to certain areas of life or culture. Verse 35 Pilate answered, am I a Jew? In other words, that's your thing over there. Right? 
That's the religious part of our culture. Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. There's an assumption in Pilate that there is this part over here that's religious, this part over here that Jesus is in charge over. But this part over here called Rome, Jesus didn't have any authority there. Or maybe he's not even interested in having authority there. Am I a Jew? Like, I don't know the things of religion. I just know politics. I I don't know the things of religion. I just know law. I don't know the things of religion. I just know education. I don't know the things of religion. Just technology. And so there is in Rome what we might call a sacred-secular divide. There's an assumption that Jesus in Rome, and, and certainly today, that Jesus is a, role, a ruler over part of our life, but not, not all of our life. This, this is the church me. And this is the rest of me. This is what I do when I'm worshiping, but this is my work. Don't bring Jesus in there. This is my church. And this is school. Jesus doesn't have any place there. This is church. An hour a week. The rest of my life is my hobby. And Jesus doesn't have any place there. And we think that we can make this separation. You don't mix God and politics. You don't mix God and business. You don't mix God and anything else for that matter. There's religion and it has its place. But religion poses a threat on every other area of life. But that's not how Jesus answers Pilate. How does Jesus answer Pilate? He says twice in in two different ways. My kingdom is not of this world. Literally out of. So it's, it's it's not the same. There's this different nature to my kingdom. So that's the separation factor. But the last phrase, my kingdom is not from the world, means it doesn't have its source in the world. Jesus' kingdom is over all that He's created. And it doesn't get its authorization from anything inside of what Jesus has created. Do you see this? You can't get God out of the public schools. He's already there because He doesn't get His authorization from earth. He gets His authorization from heaven. We didn't take God out of the public school. There's Christians there every day of the week. In fact, God is working all things together for good. He's doing some things in the public school that we may not even understand in this life that are coming to bring all things to completion. Okay? You can't get God out of your workplace. He's already there. You can't get Jesus out of politics. You can't get Jesus out of anything because Jesus is king of what? Kings. His kingdom is not limited and what Jesus is saying to Pilate is, Pilate, your understanding is far too limited. No, my kingdom's not like your kingdom or the Jewish kingdom. If it were, we'd be fighting for another kingdom so we can take yours over. Now he's saying, I've already got it. He's saying the kingdom is not like yours. 
because he has his own authorization as king of kings and lord of lords and his authority is self-derived and it's universal which means it's over Israel and it's over Rome and it's over Pilate and it's over America and it's over your life. There is no sacred secular divide in our lives. We can't separate out what we want Jesus to be a part of and what we don't. He's Lord over all. Third. Third thing that Pilate is learning here, which he doesn't really learn, about the authority of Jesus is that it's not one truth among many options. The authority of Jesus is not one truth among many options. Pilate, of course, in verse 37 says, You are a king. Jesus says, No, I am the king. And he claims this authority, the purpose that he came to give witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He's claiming universal kingdom. You say this, but I'm saying this. It's the same kind of statement often that we hear in the scriptures of what men say and what Jesus says. It's counter to what the world says, and he's bearing witness to the truth. And everyone who's of that truth listens to his voice. So there's one kingdom and every other kingdom does not stand. And those who are part of this kingdom listen to the voice of the king. Should sound familiar to you. Because we've already read about it. John chapter 10, some weeks, months ago, Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd. Do you remember? Here's what he said about the shepherd. This is John 10. He who does not enter by the sheepfold, or enter the sheepfold rather by the door, climbs in by another way. What does he say about the other way? Any other way? A, another way? That man is a thief and a robber. As if there was some other option. And then he goes on to teach about the exclusive, the one door, the one shepherd, the one group of sheep. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And they were confused. And he again repeated, applying this to himself. He says, I am the door in verse 9. If anyone enters... By me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He goes on to teach how he lays down his life for shadowing the cross. How Jesus is going to come as the good shepherd and give his life for the sake of the sheep. And here is the picture. Jesus wants wants us to know that there's only one way. There's one door. There's one shepherd. There's one truth. It's not options among many. There in that text or here before Pilate, there never has been options among many. There's only one way to be saved. There are famous quote-unquote Christian leaders that will tell you today that all roads basically lead to heaven. Everyone's going to get there in their own way. We've just all got to find our way. And it's not true. There is only one way to be with God forever. There is only one way to be restored to God, to know Him and to be in right relationship with Him and to be forgiven of sin. And it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is not one truth among many. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And everyone who hears 
who listens to his voice and follows, you're saved. Every other voice is nothing but a thief and a robber and a liar. And it ends in destruction. But Jesus calls out to his sheep. And it is through his word that he saves. It's not one option among many. He's the king of kings and lord of lords to whom everyone must bow the knee. So what is truth? Christ is truth. Would you bow your heads all across this room this morning? The only remaining question is not what is truth. We've seen the Word of God answer that question soundly. The question is, will you submit your life to the King? For some of you here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian. You've been born again. Been walking with Jesus maybe for some time. There's some area of your life that is not submitted to Him fully. You've been living, living in disobedience. But you hear the voice of the shepherd. You know what the truth is. And today you need to respond in obedience. Turn from all the other voices that you're listening to and turn to the only voice that really matters. And trust in Christ new today. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, that He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, Christian, if you would bow the knee to Jesus, today your sins will be forgiven and you will be restored to right fellowship with God. Maybe there's others of you here in this room that you don't know Christ today. That question, what is truth, is a perplexing one for you. But can I tell you that Jesus is truth. And today, if you come and trust in Christ, the only way, the only truth, the only life that God will save you today, if you'll turn from sin and trust in Him fully. So in just a few moments when the altar is open, I want to invite you to come. If that's you this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. As soon as we stand here in a few moments, you begin to come down this aisle. Pastor, today I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. I'll help you. But you come this morning and follow Him. So all across the room, would you stand with me? Other decisions are being made in this place. As I pray, you begin to come. Lord Jesus, have Your way in our hearts and in this place. God, we submit to Your Lordship. We pray that You would have Your way in all things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. The altar is open. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.